Hey everybody, welcome to the fourth episode of the Board Game Mechanics. It is mid-February. We're coming to you from the Midwest where it's cold. Yes, very cold. Actually, it's not too bad here today. <laughs> I've got quite a cold myself. Um, I'm Joel, and with me is... Jason. Hey, what's going on? Hey, Jason. Um, tonight, we're going to... Today, whatever time you listen to a podcast, I guess. Man, I sound really stuffed up, don't I? Um, I'm not a guest. Yeah, I should. I could have. I could have pulled that off. Probably. I could have acted like I was a guest. Guest host this week. I'm Kevin <laughs> yeah. Maxwell, your guest host. Um, we're gonna tonight talk about, or today, or whatever, talk about some big news that happened this week. Uh, talk about what yes, we played, well. as always, and finally talk about our favorite designers. Uh, which you think there'd be more overlap between us, but I don't think there is any at all, really. Um, no. Nope. So, at any rate. Uh, Jason, why don't you start us off with some news? All right. The first thing I want to talk about is something that my wife seems pretty interested in. Um, it's actually a Jane Austen RPG. It's called The Good Society. Huh. I mean, I, I'm not super into RPGs, but this one seems a little interesting because it doesn't have dice. So that right there kind of intrigues me a little bit. That is interesting. Is it just a book? <laughs> like a choose your own adventure book? Kind of. I mean, it said in the Kickstarter that you could, every player could determine the way the story moves. So it sounds kind of choose your own adventure, but also like a little bit of a normal RPG setting, which is kind of huh. weird. But I mean, I, I was kind of intrigued by it because at least it's different. Huh. Um. I don't know anything about this one, but there are some really cool RPGs out there. And when people think of like tabletop RPG games, they immediately go to D20 systems like D&D or Pathfinder. But there's a lot of really good things out there that aren't just those typical systems. I know like one that I really enjoy is Fate. It's a really great system, um, which uses fudge dice, which I don't know if you know about that, but it's basically you roll four dice and they have Plus like, two sides blank. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's just all about like how that turns out for you. Hmm. Um, I think it simplifies it a little bit. So like I don't know some of these systems that don't use dice or use very minimal dice almost make those older systems feel clunky and like antiquated. Um, I mean I know you can do a lot more with them, but if you just want to get out and play a game, there's there's definitely simpler systems. And that Jane Austen game, like that theme, I think would probably draw pretty much non traditional RPG players if I had to guess. So maybe having it be dice free would be kind of a good good step i don't know yeah i think it seems cool i mean not that i would ever play it but at least it's a cool idea and seems interesting yeah pride prejudice pride and prejudice uh the pride and prejudice marrying mrs marrying mr darcy the pride and prejudice card game i think we both own that one actually yeah i don't know that's it's not a bad game um me and my son played it when he was eight years old or something and thought it was kind of funny and it was fun to like it's it's got that same thing where you when you play ladies and gentlemen like you play like a like Victorian era woman and like just are silly about it. It makes it kind of fun right. for sure. So that's cool. I, there's another RPG that is coming out. Like actually it's going to start fulfilling in March. And I think I might've mentioned it on the show. Maybe not, but it has a good tie in. Um, it's by Jonathan Gilmore, who is my honorable mention for my favorite and my favorite board game designers. He's um, he's got quite a few really good games. He's Dinosaur Island. I think if I remember right, yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. And, and then Dead of Winter. But then he also has this RPG coming out called Kids on Bikes, which is totally just the Stranger Things RPG. So 
it's it's pretty cool. I think that'll be a lot of fun too. Um, but I haven't seen this Jane Austen one on Kickstarter. There's so many Kickstarters out there. It's kind of hard to keep up on them all. I'll, yeah. I'll have to check it out for sure. Yeah, the only reason I saw it because Katie posted about it. But yeah, so that's that. Uh, yeah. Do you know if it's one of those where you can get a PDF copy for like 12 bucks or something? Or is it pretty expensive? No, I think it's, act- no? it's actually cheaper than that. I think they were selling one if you had financial hardship or something. You could get a PDF for like $4. Wow. That's yeah, kind of so fun. I yeah, I don't know how they're going to know if you have financial hardship or not, but I guess it's just an honor system or something. Right, an honor system Kickstarter. That's the world we live in, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool. Definitely. Uh, the Definitely. next the next piece of uh, news I have is just like a little, a little teaser. Um, it's from Pandasaurus, and they teased a picture of something called Dulasaur Park. So it looks like a two-player dinosaur island, maybe? Like yeah. I, I literally have no idea what it is other than a picture of said Dulasaur Park. That's it. Huh. Um, that, that will bring us into our last piece of news, but those two-player versions of games have been pretty popular. So the Cave versus Cave, and um, I forget what the Wahav one was called but Farmer versus Farmer or whatever the Agricola one was too yeah, have all yeah. been really popular. So if it's something kind of like that, it might be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I'd give it a try. I really like Dinosaur Island. So even if it's sort of that good, it would be okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I haven't played Dinosaur Island yet. Um, I, I'm somewhat excited to play it. Um, but I think after I play it, I might get more interest in that. Um, I definitely have... I have more chances to play two-player games than I do three or four or five. Right. Really consistently. But um, I don't know. I, I think it might be cert- certainly something I would think about. That's for sure. Yeah, that is true. I mean, I have Dinosaur Island, and it plays pretty good, too. So I don't know if I need it, but it's still interesting. Yeah. Does Dinosaur Island play pretty well, too? Yeah, I've only played it at two and solo, and I've had a great time both times. Yeah. Well... Those two-player games uh, from Uwe Rosenberg kind of transitioned us into the big news that happened this week, I guess. Agreed, yep. So Mayfair got acquired by Asmodee, just another company getting consumed by the almighty Asmodee. Right. I I mean, this is one that was rumored back at Gen Con, as early as Gen Con. Um, People were posting on some of the message boards at Gen Con and Essen, they were running into management and they didn't have their uh, Mayfair shirts on and they were told that they were being relieved of their position at Mayfair. Um, so this is something that was rumored a while back and I off the cuff totally jokingly said, ah, it doesn't matter. They'll just sell their library to Asmodee. Like, because that just made sense to me and that's exactly what they did. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm not surprised Asmodee bought them out and... I think even really Asmodee had – maybe I'm totally wrong here, but Lookout Games and Asmodee had some kind of relationship before this, I thought, but I could be totally wrong on that. It could be, so, yeah. The only part of Mayfair I really like is Lookout. So as long as they keep yeah. making cool games, I'm in. Well, I think I think maybe Asmodee had something worked out with Lookout in Europe and it was Mayfair in, the, in North America. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I think you and I talked about this. There's definitely some bad here. The less competition there is, the worse it is for us as gamers. I mean, um, if you get a big company like that, you can start to get groupthink. And so some of the creativity and some of the things that would come out of come out of uh, board gaming development and stuff, otherwise, it's just going to get stifled. 
I'm really worried about that. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. So, and then the pricing too, obviously. I mean, uh, I don't know. Um, Mayfair games are kind of expensive anyway. And then I'm thinking Day taking them over with their pricing model. I don't look at them getting any cheaper, truthfully. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I was going to get the Colonist at Origins last year, but it was like 80 bucks. I mean, that's insane. Right. And then like a Feast for Odin. Um, that game looks really good. And by all accounts, it is very good. I really like Caverna and Agricola. And it makes sense to be the next in the evolution. But I'm not going to pay 100 bucks for it MSRP. And then... I mean, I know you can still get it for like seventy five on on online retailers, and even my local short store selling it twenty percent off. Right. But then you start throwing the Asmo Day pricing model, where they aren't allowed to sell it below MSRP. Now everyone's gonna have to pay a hundred bucks for that game, you know. So yeah, I don't know. I think I think they're Asmo Day does some good for the for the industry. I mean, their ability to distribute games is really good. Their ability to turn around reprints is is really solid. But at the same time, a lot of these companies were making better games, I feel like, before Asmodee took them over. Or they were taking more risks on games before Asmodee was starting to, you know, call shots for them. And I'm thinking specifically of FFG, um, Fantasy Flight Games. Um, I feel like they had more licenses other than just Star Wars. So Battlestar Galactica is a game that their license lapsed with it. That's a great game. It's a game that a lot of people love, and it's not going to get a reprint. And it looks like they're going to maybe try and retheme it into the Twilight Imperium universe or Star Wars universe, maybe even. I don't know, but it's just like I don't know. They're just the way how they're they're changing how they do operations with some of the companies or how they're influencing some of the operations. I'm not sure it's a positive thing overall. Yeah, I mean, it, it usually goes without saying that when one company owns everything, it's bad news. You know, in, in America, right. we like to have competition, and this is. Basically, the the companies are kind of functioning as their own independent units, with Asmodee as like the corporate umbrella. And I don't know, it just something smells funky there, and I don't I don't particularly like it. Yeah, and I mean, maybe some of the changes that have happened with these companies is just it's a correlation, not a causation. But I I don't know, Jason. It it uh, it doesn't feel good. I mean, if we find out Ford and GM and Toyota all became one company tomorrow, like. I wouldn't feel good about buying cars either. It's not just, you know, Asmodee and board games. It's competition drives creativity and it helps with pricing. So Yeah, I totally agree. The other thing too that I kinda wonder about is I'm wondering if this this news that we're looking at, if we look back at twenty eighteen and say that was when the bubble started to like almost not not burst, but started to deflate a little for board gaming. If a company like Mayfair can't maintain their independence and keep producing games in a way that's profitable and they're able to make a go of it and make it worthwhile having a company. I'm a little worried about what that means for like ongoing pricing or the future of board gaming. I mean, if you look at their library of games, they have all those Uwe Rosenberg games that are really great sellers. Um, they have, what is it? Nussfjord or whatever that game is called that's coming out. Right. Um, that hasn't even seen distribution yet. I mean, people are waiting for that game to come out still. And I think it'll still come out as a Mayfair game just distributed by Asmodee. Um, but I mean, if they can't, you know, take Mayfair has certainly they have they have at least, I would say, five top 20 games um, in the United States. You know, I mean, like just off the top of my head, Caverna, Agricola, Lahav. So the the Rosenberg games right there right. are all his. And then and then they were instrumental in bringing Catan to the United States. So, I mean, I don't know if a company can't make a go of it having those those staples in their library, then 
I don't know what that means for other board game companies or people who are trying to start self-publishing and stuff. It's it's a little discouraging, really. It almost seems like they failed to change their pricing model. I mean, I get, I've got a couple of their games, and there's a ton ton of box. But really, mm-hmm. there's not a ton of stuff inside the box. And they're still charging like that box weighs 1,000 pounds, like it's a Beatle sort of game from Eagle Griffin or something. Right. And, and, yeah. and like, uh, I'm trying to think here. Um, oh, what game was I just thinking of? Isle of Sky? I don't know that that was Mayfair. I don't think it was. But, like, that's one that, like, no, it, it is was. on the same it's, it's Mayfair. So that's one that is, like, right on the same lines. It has this, it has this, like, medium-sized box. They're charging 40 bucks for it. And then you open it up, and it's, like, three player shields and 20 tiles or something. Yeah. And, like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So I, I definitely see what you're saying there. Yeah. Oh, well, whatever. Sad day, yeah. Let's move on to fun stuff like stuff we talk, we played. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll go ahead and start. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I've been playing Ex Libris a lot. Yeah, yeah, you've been posting tons of pictures of this, and like you rave about this. Like You're like, you need to play this game. It's awesome. I'm surprised. Like Literally, my wife has been wanting it. She's like, you need to get this game. It's about books and building a library and cool stuff. And I was like, I don't know. It doesn't seem that interesting. And then I played it, and oh, man, it was amazing. It's so tense trying to build. What? No, go ahead. Well, I mean, like, does it use? Um, I want to think of the fancy word. I can't think of the fancy word, but Tetris shape pieces. Um, does it use something Poly- like that? Polyominoes. Yeah. Does it use that kind of like sh- like fitting shapes together kind of thing? No. Or is it, it just a standard tableau? It's just cards. Yeah, you have okay. cards that have a, a letter and then numbers. You're trying to build your tableau, so you have like a rectangle that goes from the top to the bottom to score points. But you need you only get scored for items that are in alphabetical order and numerical order. So you can put stuff out of order, but at the end of the game, you're not you're going to flip those cards over, and they're not going to be worth points. Huh. So it depends how bad you really want to fill in a spot on your shelf, or how bad you really want to try to get the letter C to go in between your B and D. I kind of thought it looked kind of neat too, um, but then I talked myself out of it, and I don't remember why I talked myself out of it. It had a couple of reviews I think that said it was kind of lighter than they wanted it to be. But based on what you've said, it doesn't seem like that light of a game, honestly. No, I mean, it's kind of light, but every tile, like every place that comes out that you can put your worker on, all have their own Mm -hmm. special rules. And some of them are kind of complex, like you have to do a bidding and it takes place after everyone is gone and based on how many of your workers are on the board. So there's there's a lot of stuff that goes on. Yeah, it's a simple Mm -hmm. replacement and you're putting stuff in alphabetical order, but there's other stuff that goes along with that. And I'm sure the components in it are really good. Renegade Games does a really nice job making games, in my opinion. They are one of the better small companies still out there that I'm rooting for. So I don't know. This is one that I'll definitely keep on my radar. Yeah, it's totally worth playing, 100%. Huh. And this designer, um, Adam McIver, is yeah. is he is this his debut? or I've never really heard his name. I don't know. I didn't look that up, and I should have. Boo on me for not being prepared, but... I don't know. I've never heard of his name, but this, if he's going to keep putting out stuff like this, I'm in 100%. I'm, I'm pretty sure he'll um, listen to this podcast. So why don't you go ahead and send us an email, um, Kevin? Is that his name? Kevin? Adam. 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 <laughs> Adam. I, I, he's not going to email us now. <laughs> so anyway, but, but yeah, um, I don't know. It looks really interesting. The color scheme on it is kind of pretty too. Um, the art is really nice and simplistic looking. Um, pretty neat. Is it like a fantasy library, like a Harry Potter type library? Yeah, it's got like uh, monster manuals, um, books about potions. Huh. Yeah, yeah, it's all mythical, magical stuff. Yeah. Awesome. 
Well, I'm going to be a little boring here because what I played um, again was Mombasa, just because I love that game so much. And I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil this right now. Um, the board game mechanics are having a con this weekend again, and by that I mean we're just gonna you know play some board games or whatever. But I am gonna like beg to get this game on the table. Um, Mombasa is just so good, <laughs> so good. Um, all the different tracks work together so well still, and it's just it's an excellent stock game. It's like the heavy version of every cool stock game that I've enjoyed. Um, I don't know what else I can say about it other than I just really love it. And this game I got destroyed at. I played with a guy who played for the first time, but he was able to see something I wasn't able to see, that that stock track really could be powerful. So he ended up getting like 187 points compared to my like 125. And actually a good score in that game is supposed to be like 200. So neither of us did great, but man, it was really fun. And I actually played it a lot better this time than the last time. So I don't know. It's one of those games. It's almost like... Uh, one of those games where it's it becomes your sport. Like you can play it enough times and keep playing it and keep playing it, and you get more and more of the strategy every time you play it. So just have, love it. Have you played this at four and two or three and four? What were what player counts? Uh, I played it at four this last weekend, and then I played it at three. And I would say I like it a fuzz better at three, just because it goes a little quicker and it's not quite as tight and mean on the board. But with four, it was still really good. Right. That's cool. Yeah, I need to I need to give it a try for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, if we end up having two groups running or something this weekend, like it'd be one that I would love to break out if we could get a couple groups of three or something at some point. So um, I don't know. That's just what I played on my stuff I enjoyed. But that was probably the least le- – the game I was least excited to talk about, so I put it up top here. But still a very good game. Right. Um, another game I played – I've actually played it twice, and it's called Lancelot. It's actually like a Euro game from WizKids, which yeah. that's what's, what intrigued me the most. Basically, it's like Takedo. So you have to decide. You can move as far as you want on the board, but you can't go backwards. So if you really huh. want to accomplish a task, you have to decide how far you want to go and how quickly you want to go there. So it's totally up to you. You just might be passing up on some other really awesome spots that you could have done. Yeah, I, that mechanic makes me really hate Takedo sometimes. Because if you get the wrong player order, like some of those places that you absolutely need to get, you can't ever get because it's always the other person's turn and they slide into that spot just before you. And then you don't want to waste a big chunk of the board to go to the next spot where you can let that certain kind of card or something. So I I definitely am like frustrated with that mechanic sometimes, but I would be really interested. I only know of that game that uses that mechanic. So I think that that would be an interesting mechanic to see used in other ways. So that's something that I definitely would be interested in checking out. And then the other thing, too, is WizKids. Man, those guys are really, like, I think 2017 was the year WizKids became a legitimate company. And they stopped making, you know, like, silly little hero clicks and Dice Master games for, like, their core fans and moved into, like, some really nicely produced and heavier games. Because between, and they're both King Arthur games, between Lancelot and Tournament at Camelot, Man, those games both are just like really beautifully produced games and just totally not what WizKids has done in the past. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I've only ever played Dice Masters, I think, from them before, and I could care less about that game. But right, yeah, I really liked Lancelot. I thought it was fun, and I want to play it again. How's the component quality on this game? Uh, I mean, the artwork is good. The cards are nice, but outside of that, it's just tokens and cardboard chits it's not great it's not like renegade or something but it's okay yeah i mean um 
I just ask because hero clicks, like those little plastic miniatures and hero clicks aren't that awesome. I mean, they're pretty poorly produced as far as what they look like and everything. And I know they're made to be cheap, but then Dice Masters, it felt like half the time you when you got a pack of Dice Masters, like at least one of the faces on the die was just worn off before you ever even touched it. So, and the cards were made out of just like pretty cheap laminated cardboard. So, I mean, I don't know. I feel like um, Tournament at Camelot, the component quality in it is just a lot better. Like the cards are like a nice matte finish and they're tarot size cards where they could have definitely gone with a lot smaller size cards. So I feel like, I don't know, I think Wizkids might be a legit like pushback against Asmodee type force in this thing. You know what I mean? Like Renegade, Renegade to Wizkids, you know? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, you got to keep the competition going. I'm not trying to hate on Asmodee. I mean, like if you guys want to send us review copies of stuff and win us over, go for it. But I mean, like, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I, I would really be interested to hear what Asmodee's perspective on stuff is for why them becoming as big as they are is good for the hobby. And I just, I haven't heard a compelling case on that. And so some of these other companies, like honestly, like WizKids and Yellow and Renegade and Game Salute, you know, um, them being as good as they are and coming out of nowhere almost is just, I think, also good for the hobby. So yeah, I agree. My, my two cents. I don't know. Not to go to a total soapbox tirade after you mentioned just a fun game that you played. So, <laughs> right, yeah. What, what are the other mechanics? I mean, the, the moving on the board, the last player goes goes kind of thing, last player turn order thing, but no. what else happens in the game? Actually, it's first player. First player moves first, and no, huh. spots are, no spots are blocked. So if somebody's in that spot, you can still go there. So there's no huh. competition, really, for a spot, but there is a holy grail um, piece at the end that you can really get ahead on if you're up there before everybody else. You can just sit up there and just keep going on the quest for the Holy Grail. And then, like, the points for that is whoever's in first place and however far away they are from last place, they get they take that amount divided by two in points. So I played one game, and this guy got 15 points from the Grail and won the game because he was just always going to the Grail first and just sat there and just kept moving so, on. I guess I'm not seeing this game the way it is because, okay, so, like, do you figure you have a phase where you figure turn order? And then, like, that's the turn order for that round? Because if first player on the board goes first every time, like, if you were ahead of everybody and then you moved more, you'd still be in first, right? Like, I'm trying to figure out how that works. Right, but that that's the thing of it. You can decide you want to go really far and go be somewhere first, but that's a you're passing up on all the other things that you could possibly do. So, yeah, you might be getting a bunch of points on the grail, but you're not, you're not going to be looking for Excalibur. You're not going to be able to get, like, weapons to be able to fight the dragon. You're only basically going a couple places to score big on the grail. So it kind of actually balances itself out. It's it's pretty good. So how does second pl- player, like how does the second person, so like if I'm numbering the spots on the board from like one to a hundred and the guy who's on spot 60 gets to go because he's the furthest, mm-hmm. then how does the guy on spot 55 ever get a chance to go? When, when you get somewhere, you your piece starts out with a sun sticker. When you move, you flip uh-huh. it over to a moon side. And then once everybody's on the moon side, then the first player gets to go again. They'll move, they'll flip it back to the okay. sun, and then everybody goes. Okay. So you just keep you go in turn order based on first, you know, first player, second, third, fourth. Okay. And yeah. So everybody takes it. So, so it is like the like where you're at on the board determines whose turn it is, but it's a little different than Takedo in that like last player could be like eight spots behind and like go seven times because he could move up one spot each time and stay last player. Oh yeah, yeah. So everybody like, takes okay. their own turn in this one. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's, 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 huh. That's a little different. I think that sounds, that sounds better. 
So this is like bordering on being a thematic game for you to play if it's got swords and dragons and well, combat. Well, I mean, it. let's not get super carried away. You're basically just collecting resources <laughs> and turning them in. But yes, it does have a dragon and it does have questing, I guess. Yes. And the dragon could be a red cube and the sword could be a slightly different gray cube. And I mean, like, it sounds like really for all you care, but. Yep, that's all I care. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> So on a scale of one to ten, where would you rate this game? Um, putting you on the spot here. I would probably say it's a seven. I mean, it's not. It's a game I would play any time. I'm not going to like suggest it to everybody, but depending on the audience, I would bust it out, and I think it would go over well. Does it crack your top fifty? No, it might be in the top one hundred though. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, I, huh. think, I think it's that good. I the more I play it, the more I actually like it. So it could it could go up even higher. Yeah, I, I hope so, because I really am rooting for WizKids. Yeah, I mean, they keep putting out games like this, and I'll keep buying them. Awesome. Well, uh, I'm going to go ahead and jump in and talk about uh, a game that was new to me that I played. Um, I played Yellow's Bunny Kingdom. Um, I bought this blindly because I heard from Sam Healy, who I really trust, um, that he didn't expect much out of it at all, and I didn't expect much out of it either, but he was really pleasantly surprised. Um, so I would say the same thing's true for me. I only played it with two players so far, um, which I know the two player variant is very different, but I think it's very different. Worse is what I understand. So, um, I don't know. I think it'll be something that I really enjoy when I play with four and three players, but it's, I'm going to say it's almost, it's almost like it's going to fire seven wonders to a degree for me. Like if I had a choice between it and seven wonders, I'm playing it every time right now. Um, and it's a card. It's a card drafting game, um, in a similar way to in a similar way to Seven Wonders, but um, it's got kind of a cool area control, like pattern seeking kind of thing going on for it too. So basically, all the cards have um, it's almost like bingo, like it has like a coordinate spot on it, and you draft a card, and when you play it down, you put a bunny on that spot, and you're trying to build little like colonies of bunnies. Well, then also there's some like almost like wild card spots, but they're not quite as powerful as the generic ones as the like standard ones so like i could put a camp down is what it's called to like connect a couple little cloisters of of people and then there's like other little special powers where you can get like a sky tower that connects two of your cities together for scoring purposes and the scoring on it is really neat too because you don't benefit from building one huge city like that's what you would think is man let's just make this huge area that i control you actually benefit from having three or four really fairly strong things um but it's and the other kind of cool thing too on it is the mechanic on it is you start off with ten cards or twelve cards depending on player count. Well, you draft two cards, put the cards down, and then play your cards down, then pass the cards on. So um, it's kind of cool because you have to play the cards as you get them. So you can't like hang on to all the cards and say, "Well, what's coming up in front of me here?" Um, and if you were able to draft ten cards and play them all, it would really change the game a lot. Um, so the so the fact that you're drafting a couple cards and then playing at the same time is really neat too. Um, the components on it are pretty okay. Um, the bunnies are fine, but the board is like it's it's not good. It's like I'm looking at my 22 inch monitor in here. In my uh, it's a 27 inch monitor, but I'm looking at my computer monitor as I'm recording here, and the it's it's definitely bigger than the board is for this game. And that board has so much going on on it. It has literally a hundred squares on it. And so the squares are about an inch by an inch. And it just, if you're clumsy or fat fingered, it gets hard to put those bunnies down over time. Um, it's hard to see different things on the board at times. So the board being what it is, 
takes a game that would be like an eight and a half for what it is and brings it down to like a seven. Um, that said, Yellow, I do have confirmation from Yellow that they are putting out a playmat, and the playmat's going to be substantially larger than the board is. So that will be a big improvement for the game. It's an adorable game. It's one that you could get, you know, like non-gaming spouses or um, gateway gamers to play just based on the cute look of it. Um, and it's not very complicated, honestly, either. But it has, it does have some decision making in it and some choices in it that are kind of interesting. So um, I, I do like it quite a bit. Um, I don't think it'll be, I mean, it came out in 2017 and I don't think it would crack my top five games of 2017, but it's, um, it's certainly one that I don't regret having. It'll stay in my collection. Yeah, it seems cool, but I saw some pictures like after everybody was done playing and all the bunnies on the board. Man, it just looked super busy, and I it is like it just hurt my head just looking at that picture. Yeah, that's why I'm really hopeful that the game, the play mat will be it'll be a big help to have that play mat come out. So I actually hope to come up with a full upgrade kit where there's a play mat and then like slightly bigger bunnies. Um, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, so that was Bunny Kingdom. Um, I mean, definitely worth playing. I'm not sure if I would give it the hard endorse for buying yet, but definitely worth playing. That's cool. All right, my last game is a really tiny little simple Princess Bride game. It's called The Princess Bride As You Wish. Huh. Um, my buddy my buddy Brandon brought it over, and basically it's a box with, like, I don't know, 80 cards, 75 cards or something. Everybody gets dealt a card, and it's like a goal you're trying to accomplish. So you want to have the most like love cards or something of cards that get drafted. So on the turn, you're going to draw six cards. You're going to put four of them face up and two of them face down. Based on whoever has the lowest card in front of them, they're going to be the first player. They can either take a face up card or they can randomly take one of the face down cards. And you're just, essentially that's the whole game. You're just trying to get icons to match your secret goal and that play off the people's cards next to you to get points. Whoever has huh. those points wins. Huh. It sounds like um, one of, like a Japanese minimalist game kind of thing, almost like in the vein of Love Letter or something, almost like I mean it's definitely not Love Letter, but just seems kind of like one of those streamlined, light kind of minimalist games. It, it is kind of, and actually, a lot of these little games really are not that good. But actually, for this one, I wouldn't mind playing it again. It's not like Tortoise and the Hare good. I mean, come on, but <laughs> it for it being like a little simple like filler throwaway game, it's actually pretty interesting and I wouldn't mind playing it again. Huh. Well, I uh, I knew that um, Game Salute somehow got the Princess Bride license and they have a couple Princess Bride games either out or coming out and I know they're pushing those big time. So they feel a lot of good things about those games as well. So, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. It, it's worth playing once for sure. I mean, it, you may hate it, but again, it's five minutes. So you're only wasting five minutes of your life. Yeah, I and I mean I I uh, I know about Game Salute because of a game that I pre-ordered this last week, which I just want to mention because I'm getting so hyped for it, and that's Black Orchestra. Man, that game looks so good to me. Oh yeah, but that's anyway. I want that game real bad. I'm a big Diedrich Bonhoeffer fan. Like I just think his life is really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, his work, his books are really good too. So I think it's just interesting how you could be this like evangelical like Christian conservative pastor who like plots to murder people. And I mean, like, I don't know, like murder, yeah. the murder that he was plotting probably was, you know, a worthwhile murder, truthfully, but I don't right, know, it yeah. just seems interesting. So Princess Bride, your buddy owns it. Is it one that you were going to feel compelled to buy a copy yourself? Uh, no, I'll just let him keep it and he can bring it over and we can play it. But 
yeah, it, it's fun. And and this one probably wouldn't crack your top 100, or where's this one that compared to Lance a lot? <laughs> yeah, this would be like uh, maybe top 500. I don't even know if I've ever played yeah. that many games in my life. So, yeah, so it's, it's the worst game I've ever played, but it was still okay. <laughs> cool. It sounds simple. I mean, that's, and I mean, it's not like you're investing hours of your life into a game that you don't love. I mean, if it makes someone else happy to play a five minute game with them and you're okay with it, then you're doing your part as a good friend, you know? Right. Yep. That's kind of my thought. I so, agree. Anyway. Well, the last game I'm going to talk about on our What We Played games list is one that is readily available, I hear, at Half Price Books right now. Um, it is a cryptozoic deck building game, which are all kind of the same, where you have the mm-hmm. array of like random cards in front of you and then you're developing like power to get those cards to make your deck better and then get more power. And then there's usually like some kind of side objective. Right. I actually own three of these games. Um, I have the Star Trek, the game, the DC deck builder, and then the one that I want to talk about, which is the NHL power play game. Um, and this one to me is the best of the three um, really? because it has kind of a cool element to it. So I love hockey. That's part of it. But um, you're basically taking shots on goal. And then the power of the goalie is what you're trying to beat. So like, and if you, if you played the DC deck builder, You'll like this will sound familiar that the villains have a higher power on like kind of a sideboard that you're trying to beat. Well, the goalies are kind of on a sideboard and you're trying to beat their power ratings. But then the twist is this one of the cards you can get in the game is a defenseman card. So when you have a defenseman card in your hand and someone takes a shot on goal, they have to take this puck and declare I'm taking a shot on goal. And then if someone declares a shot on goal, then you get an opportunity to play defender cards out of your hand, which can increase the power of the goalie. So like when you it's almost got like a not quite trick taking, but like a almost like a deduction of what's in the like what's the probability they have a defender in their hand, or do they look like they're up to something, um, kind of thing when you're getting ready to take a shot on goal, which is kind of a cool mechanic inside of it. And then there's other cards in there that like kind of shift the game to be kind of cool as well. So there's like a fake shot is one of the cards you can take. So you, it's like the whole point of that is that you take the puck, they play down their defenders, then you play this fake shot card, and then all their defenders basically get wasted. So I mean. It's got kind of a like back and forth, more player interaction kind of thing going on with it than some of the other Cryptozoic deck builders have going for them, for sure. So um, I don't know. I think it's worth it. If you can pick it up at half price books for like under 20 bucks, I think it's, and you don't have a ton of deck builders already. I certainly think it's good. Um, good enough that even if you're not a hockey fan, it mechanically is sound enough that it's, it's pretty fun. Um, I don't know. One of the combos that I was able to use was you get um, penalties as like part of, instead of getting curses, you get penalties. But um, when you get a penalty, sometimes something kind of good can happen for you too. So it's almost like it balances the idea in hockey that sometimes the penalty is necessary to take to keep someone from scoring a goal. So um, one of the cards I had was called the Enforcer. And the Enforcer gave me like two power for every penalty I had in my, in my discard pile. So, I mean like, and then there's some cards that are really powerful to use in there, but you have to take a penalty to use them. So like, having that enforcer card in there was kind of cool because it was like, hey, I don't really care as much about penalties now. So I can do this risky thing where I'm going to take more penalties on and then it just makes the enforcer more powerful later. And just, I don't know, the way how the cards interplay with each other just makes this game really enjoyable to me. The thing that I think is cool about it is the hockey theme. I mean, how how many times do you get to play a game that has NHL theme on it? I think like that's never. cool. Yeah. And, and, unless you get that old game where it has like uh, the like hockey players that slide back and forth and you twist the knobs. Um, and they like take, you know, shots on goal. Like, I don't know if you remember that game or not, but it's like, it looks like, uh, it looks like, um, oh, not tetherball. It looks like, uh, 
Oh, dude, why can't I think of the name of it right now? Jason, you're definitely carrying the show tonight with me being sick still. So if you think of the name of the game where the guys are on like little metal bars and it's like a parlor game. Foosball? Uh, yes, like foosball, but it's like hockey players on like a little thing that like has little slides and whatever. Oh, yeah. I don't know. That's the game I can yeah. think of. But yeah. Well, um, <laughs> like there just aren't that many sports games out there. I mean, if you think about it, sports is kind of a ripe theme to make board games about. Um, yeah. I mean, there's this one and then there's that pro wrestling game. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah. Um, well, there's also uh, baseball highlights 2049 or whatever that is. Yeah. Which I've heard really good things about. And then also bottom of the ninth, I've heard really good things about too. But right. I mean, um, I don't know. You just don't see a ton of games out there. And then there's a couple of football games like first and goal and pizza box football. But right. yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a different theme. That's for sure. It's, it's a pretty fun game. And I think I yeah, got my copy for like 20 bucks too. So. Yeah, that's what my half price yeah. was selling it for for twenty bucks. Yeah, yeah. I'd wait till it goes another fifty percent off and get it for ten dollars because it'll still be there. So, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to move us into our yeah main topic for the night, which is our top designers. Uh, so Jason and I have, with no particular criteria, picked our three favorite designers, and um, we might at the end do an honorable mention or two, but some people that just need some love but didn't quite make our list. Um, no promises on that. We'll see how we do on time, but I'm going to go ahead and just start. And my, my number three is, um, I just changed it because man, there's about three guys I could have put down here, but I've got to put Eric Lang in there because I love blood rage so much. And then couriers is a game that love it or hate it. Like it was pretty influential on the creation of dice masters and some other games, which was his as well. Um, and then the one that I didn't know was, was Eric Lang. Um, I guess I knew it, but I forgot about it was the Star Wars Living Card Game. Um, that game, actually, I don't know if you ever played it or not, but as far as Living Card Games go, the Star Wars game was about as good a Living Card Game as you're going to find. Um, I liked it better than Netrunner quite a bit. And I think Fantasy Flight screwed that game up, kind of, by having distribution problems early on. But it was an excellent game. Um, and then Trains and Stations is his, which is one that not a lot of people have heard of. And it kind of is like Couriers meets Ticket to Ride. And then finally, uh, Rising Sun, which you see everywhere right now, uh, as far as people are starting to get their Kickstarter copies back. But I guess, I don't know, I'm not, I haven't played it yet. I wouldn't say that that really adds to his resume a ton, um, because I've heard it's basically Shogun, but like with a cool facelift. Um, but he has a bunch of other games too. The others, um, I know just a lot of games out there that are his. Um, he's just, he's a machine. He puts out games all the time, but he, did, he makes it on my list for um, Blood Rage and Star Wars LCG are both really solid games. Um, and then also Trains and Stations is in my collection too. And I played Dice Masters a fair amount in, my, in its day. So um, my number three is Eric M. Lang. The only one of any of those games that you mentioned that I'm remotely interested in is Trains and Stations. That's it. Uh, Blood Rage is so good too, though. That's what I've heard. I don't know. I just, again, I have issues with that game could be $40, $35, but didn't have all that ridiculous plastic in there. So I think I paid a little more than I think I paid forty four dollars for it. So, but I mean I know that like MSRP and it's like eighty or something crazy. Right, so, yeah. all right, yeah, yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree with you though. Eric Lang does put out some good games. They're just not for me. Yeah, the area control parts of Blood Rage and things like that are really they're excellent. But you know what you might like of his is Midgard. Um, actually, yeah, Blood Rage used to be called Midgard, I think, and it basically got polished a little and added miniatures to it. Um, so Midgard's like the stripped down version of, of Blood Rage, which might be more your speed. Yeah, I can probably see that. Yeah, I, I've heard about that one, but then I heard that it wasn't as good as Blood Rage, so I didn't want to 
waste my time. I don't think it is either, probably, but it doesn't have those darn miniatures in there that you are allergic to. All right. Um, my number three designer in no particular order. It's I'm only going with one of them, but it's actually like a design team. But I'm going to uh -huh. pick Simone Luciani. I think that's how you say his name. And he was behind one of the people behind Grand Austria Hotel. He was a part of Zolkin. He's a part of Council of the Four, Lorenzo Il Magnifico, and the Voyages of Marco Polo. I mean, that right there, those are like, outside of um, Council of the Four, which I haven't played yet, but it's coming. Those are like some of my top 10 games of all time. So that guy has to be on the list. I mean, you can't make that many games in somebody's top 10 and not be one of their favorite designers. I, I'll agree. I think he's an excellent designer, and he definitely is your kind of designer. Um, I, I like him quite a bit, too. I've played Grand Austria. I own Grand Austria. I played Zulkin when it came out back in 2012. Um, I played Lorenzo with you. I played your copy of that, and it's certainly a solid game. I, I agree. He's a rock-solid designer, and I forget what the other guy's name is. The other guy's Daniel Danielle Tashini, I think is his name. Yeah. Do they always right. design together, or do they do uh, things I don't think so. Or? I don't think they did Marco Polo together. I think that's – I'm not even going to say the name, but I think that is a different guy. I'm not sure. I just looked up Simone because he's the one that's on my list. So yeah. I'm not sure who he co-designed some of these games with. Well, if he's got Marco Polo on his resume and the other guy doesn't, like that's enough to make him make the list and the other guy not, unfortunately, for that other guy because Marco Polo's – allegedly an awesome game too and it's on my short list uh, my games of shame that i haven't played yet that i really need to play marco polo is amazing yeah awesome that's a really good pick i i fully and wholly like think that's a great pick um good. my number As two you, is reiner kinesia i'm lying it's not reiner kinesia um, <laughs> I, <was gonna> <laughs> I don't really like reiner kinesia i mean i respect him but i mean his games are so just like math the game Although I did hear something interesting about him. I guess he doesn't play board games at all. Like never. Yeah, and he tries to not he tries not to go to cons. He tries not to hear about games because he doesn't want to taint or influence his designs. And so he has a deck builder coming out this year. And someone was talking about that with his deck builder. They're like, I guess this is how like someone just explained Dominion to him. And this is his interpretation of what they were talking about. But I mean, like, it sounds really different, like a different take on deck building. Um, well, isn't, is that Road cool. to El, isn't that Road to El Dorado game a deck builder? And didn't he do that? I don't I don't know. I don't know well enough to know. But I think oh, that sounds about right, actually. Uh, so he's not really my number two, though. My number two is um, Alexander Feaster, um, who has just games all over the place. I mean, like his spectrum of games that he's created is really varied. Um, so, I mean, Mombasa, which I've seen the praises of on here every week, it seems like is obviously one of my favorite games of his. But then also there's another game of his, Great Western Trail, which I would play that way more if I didn't love Mombasa so much. Um, but they both kind of fit that like heavy-ish weight Euro game feel. But they're, they're two of my favorite heavier games. Um, Great Western Trail, it's got just that cool theme too of trying to get like sets of cows that are all kind of different and right. navigating different hazards. And then you kind of can block other people with your buildings and... I don't know. It's kind of a neat, a neat thing too. And then, and then, so then that just those two games alone make the guy, you know, in contention for being one of my favorite designers, but then throw in there like, Oh my goods is his game, which is another just little card game kind of thing. And then broom service. Right. So broom service oh, is actually broom service. broom service is probably actually his 
maybe his most well-known game. Uh, Isle of Skies is as well, which is another yes, really yeah. well-known game. So, I mean, Isle of Skies I wasn't a huge fan of, but I'll tell you this, I would play that over Carcassonne any day. Um, and then and then Broom Service, I believe that won like the Kinnerspiel or something one year. So he's a Spiel winner based on a game that's totally different than what his main type of games is. So I, I don't know. He's um, he's definitely an eclectic designer. Um, he's not quite as eclectic as uh, Vlada Chivadel, but I tend to like his games better than Vlada Chivadel's too. So that's why he's number two on the list and Vlada's not. I think the only game I've ever played of his is Broom Service. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you, like, if we redo this list after you play Mombasa or Great Western Trail, you may have to make a revision. I'm just saying it. Like, he, I, I think you're going to love his games. You're probably right. I mean, I love heavy games, and I know Mombasa's up there as, you know, super heavy. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to playing it. I just haven't played it yet. Yeah, I, I don't know if he would quite knock off, like, your three guys because you, well, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. He may knock, that was he my may number knock two, off my next one. But maybe... Yeah, he was my number two, but not really my number two because it's hard to say, you know, chronologically. How do you quantify who's better than who? But anyway, you're number two, Jason, which isn't really your number two because there are no particular order. (laughs) My number two is Bruno Catala or Catala, however you say his name. Um, And I've played so many of his games. Mr. Jack Pocket, Five Tribes. He had a hand in Jamaica, Seven Wonders Duel, Dice Town, Madam Ching. Mission Red Planet and Queen's Necklace, just to name a few. Um, and all those games. Yeah, he's are, been in a billion games. Yeah, all those games are amazing. Maybe Jamaica's not as amazing, but I mean, people still like that game. It's a good racing game. But all these other games are just spot on. Some of my favorite games, and I love them. And he had to be on the list just for the sheer amount of games I have of his. <laughs> and Yamatai is another one that I enjoy his too. Right, I haven't played that one, so I couldn't speak to that. But it's it's. It's similar weight to Five Tribes. I think Five Tribes is a little better, but it's, I mean, it's enough different that it's, it shows that he's thinking all the time about different games, you know? Agreed. So yeah. another, another rock solid pick, Jason, I would agree. Bruno Cafalo is definitely, he's on the Mount Rushmore of game designers for sure. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, most people, I think almost everybody likes at least one Bruno Cafalo game there. He's just that accessible and makes a whole bunch of different kinds of games. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. He should be on everybody's list. Rock solid pick, man. And all those games, too, are really different games. So he's got that going on for him, too. Like Mr. Jack Pocket or Mr. Jack is like kind of like a, I don't know, not really chess, but like a a, a kind of cool stealthy movement game. Right. Five Tribes is Mancala. Jamaica's a dice rolling game. There's Seven Wonders, uh, which is Duel, which is a, you know, like, a drafting almost yeah. mahjong type game. I mean, just it's so everything's so different on what he yeah. does. Agreed. Well, my number one, Jason, if you're ready for me to do that, and if you if you're a fan of us, if you're a part of the riveted, you probably can guess. I'm a self-proclaimed Jamie Stegmeyer fanboy. Um, and I think the reason why Jamie Stegmeyer gets it and not Alan Stone is because Jamie's got Charterstone as well to his credits. So kind of to go back to your pick of um, Simone Luciano or Luciani over the other guy in the pair. Jamie Stegmeyer was a part of Viticulture. He's a part of Euphoria. He's a part of um, Scythe. And then also he is the chief designer or sole designer on Charterstone. So those four games right there are all four arguably in my top 20. Um, if not, three of those are my top 10. So um, maybe, maybe three, definitely two. So 
I mean, to have two games in my top 10 and squarely in my top 10, like probably my top three, is uh, you got to have a spot there. And I know that some of his games have some crossover. So, like, some of the mechanics in Euphoria definitely showed up in Scythe, and some of the things from Viticulture showed up in Scythe. But I think the fact that he does what he does so well and implements it into these different themes and does change them up enough to make them fresh lets him be my favorite game designer. And I will say this is my number one. There's yeah, a particular mean, order to this. <laughs> yeah. I've played Scythe, Charterstone, and Viticulture, and man, I. Viticulture is probably in my top five. It, yeah, I'm obsessed with that game. I, I play it solo. I'll play it any day of the week, anytime. It's amazing. There's nothing yeah, like the, making some more solos and grapes. The solo variant too. I mean, like it might say there say as as much as there's not a ton of player interaction in that game. Kind of, I guess, would be the knock on it. But playing the solo variant of that game is to me like eighty percent as good as playing a game with like two other players. Like, I mean, I just really enjoy it. It's, it's definitely good practice of like going through all the, well, I need to make wine at this pace with these placements and stuff. And I don't know. I think people also say that Viticulture without Tuscany is an okay game. I totally don't agree. I think that Viticulture without Tuscany is a really good game. And I think Tuscany makes it an excellent game. I agree. Um, and, I, yeah. and I mean, I think Viticulture plays on its own essential edition Viticulture on its own, if you are hesitant on the fact that you're going to have to buy a $25 expansion immediately to make the game better, that's not true. I mean, I think you could be totally content to play Viticulture for a year before you felt like you needed to add Tuscany to it. I agree. I, I played with you for the first time with Tuscany, and I only have Viticulture, like Essential Edition, no Tuscany, and I still love it. It's still amazing. Yeah. And I mean, like, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I think there's actually a couple ways where Tuscany can almost put too much into this like really sleek, simple game. I mean, I think the four season board that you get in Tuscany makes the game better, but I think that little map with the stars on it that you get in Tuscany, I don't know if I like that yet or not. Like, I I think not having that involved in there almost makes the game. I don't know, like the two season board and I I don't know, the just base viticulture board is just fine too by itself. Yeah, I agree. I think the stars just kind of get in the way, but yeah. I'm hoping the Euphoria expansion does to Euphoria what Tuscany did for Viticulture too. I mean, like Euphoria is a, certainly a rock solid game. Um, dice placement, which is I think something that you're definitely a fan of. Oh yeah, I love um, it. But I mean, like it's uh, it's a rock solid worker placement game, and I'm hoping that the expansion, which I mean, I I seriously didn't have any kind of inside information on that when I did my cardboard corner on it, saying like I feel like there's an expansion in the works. But then I think they confirmed it like a couple of days later, not because yeah. of my video. I, I'll take credit. I'll say it was because of my <laughs> video. But like the just the components in that game, like there's just like it has that same feel that like a game where it's like, you know, that these cards could be used for more than what they're being used for right. has going on with it. So I don't know. I'm really hopeful that the that the expansion will make it, you know, even better. So. Yeah, Jamie Steg- Stegmeyer is my number one. Yeah, I, I've been giving you a crap about being a fanboy, but the more of his games I play, the more I really dig him too. So, yeah, I can't really bust your chops on that anymore. Well, and he's just a good guy too. Like, he's a good he's a good diplomat for board gaming. I mean, like, That's I don't true. know. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Your number one, Jason, is no surprise to people either, I don't think. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, uh, this guy's the king of the Euro, and I mean, that's Steppenfeld. Um Yep. Ever since I played my, my first Steppenfeld game, which I think was actually Castles of Burgundy, ever since then I've gotten I own like five. I have In the Year of the Dragon, I have Aquasphere, I have La Isla, I have Notre Dame, I have Bruges, and I just got Bora Bora. Um, some of my friends have Trajan and Castles of Burgundy, so 
his games are so good. So Euro-y, and sometimes it's just you against the game. The game's beating you down. The players are beating you down. Sometimes it's uh, multiplayer solitaire, but he does it so well. Guy's a beast. Well, and then you talk about the pricing model for Mayfair being kind of backwards, where they're charging 40 bucks for 18 tiles in a big box that has a lot of air in it. I feel like the opposite's true for I don't is it Ravensburger or is it Yeah, Ravensburger. Yeah. That put out Notre Dame. I mean like that that or Notre Dame. Like that game is like twenty three bucks and it's a full rich game. I mean like and it has these big cool looking boards that go out and just I don't know. Like I'm surprised that it's a twenty three dollar game. Like you would think that it would sell for closer to forty probably. That's how a lot of his games are. Like in the year of the dragon is Ravensburger, it's twenty bucks. La Isla, I think, is Ravensburger, and the Aaliyah stuff, it's like 20 bucks. Yeah. Castles of Burgundy, I think, is $25, $26. It's crazy. Like, yeah. these games are so good, and they're so cheap. Like, it's unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I wish I could remember now, too. I Like, you guys can definitely hear the cold, and I'm still a little foggy from it. But there was a Feld game in my collection that I didn't realize it was a Feld game. Bruges? I can't remember what it is now. No, I knew Bruges was his. But it was it was like a lighter game, and I was like, "Wait, that's a Feld," and it wasn't Despikerstadt, but I had that one too at one point. Jorvik. Um, oh man, I don't remember. I'll have to look at his list of games. I'll I'll, I'll put that in the appendix for the next show. The corrections on next shows uh, <laughs> that you put out. So Actually, anyway. some of the games I have are pretty light. Like La Isla is pretty light. Um, I don't really think Notre Dame is super heavy. It's just a card drafting game where you're putting cubes in spots. I mean, he makes kind of medium games, and then he makes like some beat you down, like in the Year yeah. of the Dragon and Aquascript games. Castles of Burgundy isn't heavy by any means either. I mean, like, yeah, totally it's agree. just hey, yeah. it's a it's like a planning game, really. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I, I love Feld. He probably is my number one. Actually, I, I'm obsessed with Feld. Yeah, yeah. That's that's uh, that's a good pick, man. Um. Rialto, that was the game that I was like, oh, that's a Feld game? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And I yeah. and I actually don't own that one right now, but when I was on a TMG buying tear, like, I was like, okay, I think I want that one too. And I ended up owning it for a while, but it felt, I don't know, like, it really just thematically is similar to Bruges, and the game's a lot different, but I wish I had my copy of Rialto still, because I think it's a little hard to find now. Yeah, Bruges is probably far superior to, to most Feld games. <laughs> Bruges is amazing. Yeah, I like Bruges a lot. Um, it's my like my theory on board games is there's certain mechanics that I really like or certain designers that I really like, and so I'll own a lot of those games. But then I feel like I need to have a like deck building game that I go to and a like Stefan Feld game that I go to in my collection. So if I feel the need to play one of those type of games, I have one there. And Bruges is my go to Feld, and like I will never get rid of it. It'll have a spot in my Feld collection forever. Yeah, I totally agree. There there are very few games that I've played recently that I like as much as that one. It's really good. And I mean like, I don't know, he gets he gets a lot of guff for like all of his games are kind of the same where there's a million ways to score points and you put workers out in one of a billion ways to get points or whatever. But I mean really honestly, I, I feel like there is a lot of ways to get points in most of his games, but they play mechanically really differently most of the time. Agreed. So I don't know, like Bruges is totally different than like Luna or or Castles of Burgundy or um, Trajan or any of those games. Yeah, know? so totally agree. Well, um, do you have off? The, we don't have anything in our show notes, so this is totally us winging it. But who would be your like guys that it hurt not to put on the list? 
Um, I I may put Antoine Bauza on mine. I really dig a lot of his games, and while they're not super heavy, and I don't love them, I mean Ghost Stories, Seven Wonders, Takedo, Ta- Takenoko, um, Tanabi, yeah, Tanako or Takenoko, yeah, all those games are really good games, and you know they may not be my favorite, but they still have a place in the world, and they're excellent games that he deserves. Oh, oh yeah. He's he's definitely one of the modern like wonders of of uh, of board game design for sure. Right. Um, Rosenberg, Uwe Rosenberg. I think we have to mention him. That's like, true. He's yeah. he. It was hard not to put him in my top three. I do love Lahav. I do love Caverna. Um, As do I. But, well, not yeah. Caverna, but Agricola. I don't have a play Caverna. Yeah, I mean, I think you would probably like Agricola better than Caverna based on your tasting games. But I think you know, like I don't know the prop the problem with Rosenberg's games. Is that they all feel like revision two, revision three, yeah. and that's like the only criticism I have. But then also Bonanza is a game that's a great game too. <laughs> I, I mean, really like, like that game; it's so good, and it's so different from everything else he's done. Um, Patchwork's a good one. I mean, uh, so and then is he the one that's doing like all of those? Like the boxes look terrible, but the games are good, like Indian Summer and yeah, um, Cottage Garden and all that. Yeah, I mean, like those are supposed to be excellent games, but the boxes look so ugly that it's hard for me to want to play them. Yeah, um, I might also shallow. mention. I think I might also mention Bruno Faduti. I like a lot of his games as well, and he does a lot of stuff with Cathala and other people. Like he did Mission Red Planet, Queen's Necklace, um, Citadels. Yeah, I really like a lot of the games I played of his as well. Um, Matt Leacock has to get mentioned. I mean, even though he only has one game, his one game has inspired a billion other games. Right. And like even Forbidden Desert and Forbidden Island or Pandemic, but they're right. like slightly different themings. Um, Agreed. I I think uh, I think um, the Splatter guys have to be mentioned. They're kind of becoming a force. Antiquity looks excellent. Um, Great Zimbabwe is awesome. Oh yeah, I'd be uh, all I'd be all over those games if they didn't cost a hundred dollars. Right. I had Food Chain Magnate, and I like I thought it was fine too, but then it went out of print, so I was like, I can't own this game and. Right. You know, right. So, so, okay. Oh man. Uh, Vital Asserta didn't make your, make your top three. Well, honestly, he probably would have, but I've only ever played the galleries. So had I played more games of his, maybe, but I can't put somebody in the list. if I've only played one of their games. So when we make this list next year, but this time next year, you will have played definitely Kanban and probably Lisboa as well. Right. Um, I'm work I want to get Vinos as well because I want to play that. Yeah, v- Vinos is really good too. Um I played the deluxe edition of that last summer and it was a little heavier than what I was enjoying at that point, but I've gotten a heavier taste in games lately. So I, I don't know, I definitely enjoy him a lot. Um the guy I want to mention too, and I think you'll you'll jump on board with this too, is uh Philip DeBerry. He's one of those guys that you just don't hear mentioned. Right, right. But his games are rock solid. Every one of them is just rock solid. Revolution's excellent. So uh not Citadels. Um Courtier, rock solid. Black Orchestra's his, and I haven't played it yet, but it looks great. Right. I have um, I have Spirits of the Rice Patty, which is super awesome. It's a cool like Euro worker placement dude game. And I also have Kingdom of Solomon, which I like a lot by him. He makes yeah. some really fun games. And he's another guy too that just seems like an excellent diplomat for board gaming. I mean, like he just seems like he's got a really high character life. He loves his family. He loves, you know, um, he's got like a moral compass and just seems like a really good guy. Period. That I like supporting. So right. he's another he one that I, I like. Me. 
Yeah, that doesn't hurt either, I guess, right? So, <laughs> right. Are you, are you in his playtest group yet, or how's that work? No, I just talked to him on Facebook like we're best buds. But outside of that, yeah, nothing. That's pretty – well, it's pretty cool. He is one of the few designers that I think actually responds to our posts at times. Um, yeah, he does. And so, so, I mean, like, he definitely is accessible, a cool guy. Um, the last one I'm going to mention is Richard Garfield. I think you can't do a list like this and not acknowledge Richard Garfield on some level. I mean, Magic the Gathering is like the game that revolutionized the hobby um, right. before there was even a hobby. And then Netrunner is still all over the place. Um, I don't care for it that much, but people are obsessed with that game. Just because people are obsessed with Magic. Yep. And Robo Rally, Bunny Kingdom. I mean, he's got many games out there that are, are his. Um, I, what's the other really light, silly game he has? Uh, I want to say it was Guillotine, but I don't think Guillotine's his. He has a game like Guillotine, like that kind of heaviness out there too. Um, that is his as well. So, I mean, like, I don't know. The guy's board games are all over the place too. And he was revolutionary in designing what he designed when he designed it too. So, Right. Yeah. No, I like a lot of his games. Not, I used to be big into Magic. So, I mean, you can't have Magic without that guy. So, yeah, he definitely deserves a shout out. For sure. For sure. Yep, absolutely. And like I already mentioned, Vlada Chivato. He's got a million games that are all over the place. Um, I mean, like, I'm trying to think. I know, I think Mage Knight is his. I think um, Robinson, not Robinson Crusoe, um, but but uh, Galaxy Code Truckers names. his. Codenames. I mean, like, so each one of those games is so different that that makes you think, hey, this guy's kind of a genius too. Right. Um if Galaxy Trucker was a full actual game, I might rate him a little higher, but it's like a good solid setup for a game of of, of something. I don't know. Right. It feels like you're over before you even like really get to enjoy anything. But yeah. I don't know. Uh, anything dexterity gets kind of a few points knocked off for me because I'm really slow. Yeah, I I don't I don't love those either. Galaxy Trucker <laughs> does seem cool, but yeah, I've heard bad things, so I stay away from it. Yeah, I I don't love it, if I'm gonna be honest. Um, but whatever yeah. to, to each is to each his own. Right. Yeah. We don't have to love every game. We just have to play them and have fun. Michael Kiesling. He's one that is moving up the list for sure too, with Azul and Kramer and Kiesling have a ton of games that are, that are, you know, pretty great. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the list goes on and on. So who is your favorite board game designer that we forgot to mention? Um, Alan Moon, Matt Gertz. I mean like just on and on and on. Yeah. Um, who did we forget? Get on our Facebook page and tell us. So that's uh we know there are a lot. We just can't name them all for time constraints. So <laughs> for sure. For sure. So um yeah, thanks for listening again. Do we have a code word this week, Jason, for highest of fives? Um we did Omaha last week. Let's do um we'll do Jane Austen. This week. How about Ooh, that? That's a good one. Jane Austen. All right. Sounds good. And hey, thanks for carrying this show, Jason. I was definitely at about 80% this show. So thank you for all your hard work on uh, prepping this one and, and carrying it along. So <laughs> no one would have noticed that. if you didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then the other thing, too, is I think I'm going to go ahead and just announce it so that way it happens. We're going to start going to a short format show on our off weeks. So look for us a week sooner where we're going to have a little short show, maybe no feature in it, but just kind of talk about what we played and um, what's going on in the world of board games. So look for a 30-minute between shows show 
Uh, I think we're ready to make the jump to every week. I think Jason's eager to do that, and I think I'm ready to do it too. So yeah, I'm ready. Look for that. So that's exciting news that we put, you know, at minute minute 63 of the podcast. That's a good way to publicize yourself. So Bury it at the end. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> Only the best fans get to know that. So <laughs> anyway, thanks for the likes, subscribes, and reviews. Uh, keep it up. We, we love you all. We love interacting with you. So thanks for all the posting that you guys have been doing over on our page. It's really neat to see the community there starting to come to life. Um, I feel like some of the more interesting conversations we have on Facebook happen on our page, which is awesome. So thanks for being there. All right. I've been Joel. And I'm Jason. And we'll talk to you next week. Take care.